Living Stones is our discipleship pathway we use to bring people to faith, to grow people in the faith in their life, and how we raise up new leaders. 1 Peter 2.5 You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're exploring the first zone of discipleship, the camp, where a person learns to live reconciled with other people. There are six steps in this area, and we're at the fifth, responsibility, where I demonstrate maturity and responsibility in my life. Maturity is facing life's challenges. Responsibility is illustrated by the tribe of Gad. Gad's blessing is in Genesis 49:19. Gad will be attacked by raiders, but he will attack their heels. Now, silly as it may seem, this reminds me of the difference between getting mail as a child versus as an adult. As a child, I rarely got mail, so when it did, when I did, it was a special treat. And sometimes I'd be envious of my parents who always got the mail. I remember one summer day at my cousin's house where we all wanted to open some mail. My aunt told my cousin Shannon, here, you can be me. And she gave some of her mail to her daughter. Shannon was happy because she got to open mom's mail like an adult. To her next daughter, she said, here, you can be resident. And there was a lot of resident mail. Shannon was upset. Hey, I want some resident mail. I'm a resident. My aunt replied, you gave up your resident status to be me. As an adult, now I get most of the mail and I'm envious of my children. They don't get junk mail. They don't get bills. When they do get mail, it's usually something special. However, there's a benefit to being the person that gets the bills, insurance notices, and even the advertisements. It means I have a job and assets. I have money in the bank. I have health care, and I have two cars. The only things my children have of those, they have because of my wife and me. Yes, I have monthly bills, but I also have the means to pay my monthly bills. The benefits of adulthood also come with the challenges and responsibilities of adulthood. Maturity is facing life's challenges. Gad receives a very short blessing that is militaristic in nature. The tribe of Gad will be attacked, but not completely defeated. Gad will be able to retaliate against any raider that attacks him. Gad is never so strong as to never be attacked, but Gad is also never so weak as to be completely wiped out. The tribe of Gad faces life's challenges. That sounds like adulthood to me. People are usually never so ahead in their finances, health, cleaning, relationships, maintenance and repairs or whatever, that we are fully prepared and no challenges of life can take us by surprise. But hopefully as responsible, mature adults, we're also not so unprepared in life that we can't handle most of the adversities and make it through. Sure, people might dream of a life without any problems or challenges, but in the end, most of us would also find that boring. And a life without challenges is not reality anyway. Even in the perfect created world described in Genesis 1 and 2, human beings had challenges and work. Sin just made the challenges and work more difficult. Better than a life with no challenges is a life where I know I can get through any challenge. Adulthood doesn't mean I don't have any problems. In fact, most of my tough problems didn't start until adulthood. Adult maturity means being able to work through my problems. 
We don't have any stories of Gad, the son of Jacob, but we do have records of this warrior tribe and how they fulfilled their blessing. First Chronicles 12, 8 through 14 shows us that Gad is prepared. First Chronicles 12, 8 through 14. Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were valiant warriors trained for battle, expert with shield and spear. Their faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Ezer was the chief, Obadiah second, Eliab third, Mishmanath fourth, Jeremiah fifth, Atai sixth, Eliel seventh, Jonathan eighth, Elzabad ninth, Jeremiah tenth, Macbani eleventh. These Gadites were army commanders. The least of them was a match for a hundred, and the greatest of them for a thousand. The time frame for this passage is important. King Saul is dead, and David has been publicly anointed as the new king. He and his mighty men have taken over Jerusalem and made it the new capital. This is when these Gadite warriors come to David. I don't like the translation of they defected to David because that brings up negative ideas of betrayal. They didn't betray anyone. They received no command from King David, but when the warriors of Gad saw that David was now king, they severed any prior allegiances they had and pledged themselves to the new king, exactly what the army should do. The warriors of Gad also came prepared. They didn't go to Jerusalem to celebrate the coronation of the king. Instead, they went to a stronghold in the wilderness to defend their king. These men were courageous, battle-ready, and well-skilled with their shields and spears. They knew how to fight. They also had the endurance, speed, and agility to run like gazelles on the mountains. They took care of their bodies. The text said they had the faces like lions. I think we can safely assume that their fierceness that I would see in the face of attacking lion is the same thing that the ancient writers of Chronicles mean. The closest reference I could find is in the Iliad. Hector and Achilles are about to have their great one-on-one -on -one battle. Before they fight, Hector offers an agreement. Let us promise whoever wins take the dead body of the defeated to their family and people for proper burial. Here's the answer of Achilles, the greatest warrior of the Greeks. Achilles glared at him and answered, Fool, don't talk to me about covenants. There can be no covenants between men and lions. Wolves and lambs can never be of one mind, but hate each other out and out and through. Therefore, there can be no understanding between you and me, nor may there be any covenants between us till one or the other shall fall. Be mindful of all your valor. You will need it now to prove yourself a bold warrior and fighter. That's Achilles. He's saying, I'm a lion. You're just a man. Get ready to die, but at least die well. That's also how the Gadites entered battle, expecting to win. There were 11 total Gadite commanders. Uh, Ezer, the chief, Obadiah, the second in command, and nine others. These men were rightly put in charge of the lives of other men because of their skill. The weakest commander was a match for 100 enemy warriors on the battlefield, and their strongest commander a match for 1,000. These men knew their place, they knew their responsibilities, they knew their work, and they did it excellently and without fear. For me, 
in a much smaller scale. This is like moving out for the first time and knowing how to cook for myself, knowing how to pay my bills and do my laundry, knowing I could stay up as late as I want, but also knowing I should get a good night's sleep. When my in-laws visit, my father-in-law always wants to stay up late playing cards. I love playing cards with him. But if it's Saturday night, I set a limit because I know I have to get up and preach on Sunday morning. One of the things that I'm and some others are planning as leaders of the Chamber of Commerce is to hold mock interviews for students at our local high school. We'll give the students immediate feedback. So when they have to go and have a real job interview, they'll have an idea of what to expect and know how to do well. We want them to be prepared. And these are areas of physical maturity, symbolized with different parts of the body. First, the hands. A mature person works. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Not everyone does the same work. Going to college and getting a white-collar job is not more dignified than getting an apprenticeship for a blue-collar job. Working in the marketplace is no more dignified than taking care of children at home. As we get older, we may not be able to do the same level or type of work that we did when we were younger. Dignity in work is not what I do, but that I do and how I do it. second part of the body is the, is the heart. Also, this could be called the stomach or loins. A mature person maintains self-control and is not ruled by their own desires or body. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13. Everything is permissible for me, but I not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Oftentimes we treat adulthood as the time when I can do whatever I want with my body. But adulthood is knowing how to control my body. As an adult, I choose not to eat liver because I hate the taste. But I also choose to eat a vegetable or fruit with my dinner because that's good for me. As an adult, I have the right to engage in sexual relations with other consenting adults. But I choose only to do so with my wife because that's good for me. And last is the tongue. A mature person communicates well, knowing when to listen, when and how to speak, and keeps their word. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. Think about it. Children often say whatever they think and will lie to keep themselves out of trouble. That's not adulthood. Physical maturity. It's in the hands, the heart, and the tongue. It's what I do, what I desire, and what I say. And that allows us maturity to face life's challenges. I think we're all aware, though, that there's more to being mature than just physical maturity. A 12-year-old can physically mature, but that child is far from adulthood. There's also a spiritual aspect to maturity. First Chronicles 5, 18-22 shows us that Gad prays. 1 Chronicles 5, 18-22. The descendants of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 warriors who could serve in the army, men who carried shield and sword, drew the bow, and were trained for war. 
They waged war against the Hagarites, Jeter, Nephish, and Nodab. They received help against these enemies because they cried out to God in battle, and the Hagarites and all their allies were handed over to them. He was receptive to their prayer because they trusted in him. They captured the Hagarites' livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep, and 2,000 donkeys, as well as 100,000 people. Many of the Hagarites were killed because it was God's battle, and they lived there in the Hagarites' place until the exile. We know Gadite warriors are battle-ready, but even they do not go into battle alone. Gad fights alongside two other Israelite tribes, Reuben and Manasseh, against the Hagarites and their allies. The Israelite tribes decisively win the war, but it's not just because of their physical readiness. Verse 20 says they received help against these enemies because they cried out to God in battle, and the Hagarites and all their allies were handed over to them. God was receptive to their prayer because they trusted him. The Gadites are well prepared to fight, but they trust in God for victory. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. The Gadites were mature themselves. They were mature enough to know when to ask for help and were mature enough in their relationship with God to know the important battles are not won with physical strength alone. Physical maturity is incomplete without spiritual maturity. This spiritual maturity also let the Gadites know who to fight. Verse 22 says many of the Hagarites were killed because it was God's battle. The Gadites are not fighting their own personal war. God wants them to fight this battle because it's a spiritual battle. To understand the spiritual battle, we need to know who the Hagarites are. Hagarites would be descendants of Abraham's concubine, Hagar, and her son Ishmael. Although Muslims claim to be descendants of Ishmael, we know the Hagarites are not Muslim because Islam does not begin until the 7th century AD, over 100 years after the end of the Roman Empire. Chronicles is probably written during the Babylonian or Persian empires. We don't have a long history or a lot of history of the Hagarite people, but we do know they were polytheistic Arab tribes that were living in the area between the Euphrates River and the Red Sea. The chief deity of these people was Atarsamein, which means morning star of heaven. That naming is nearly identical to a name given in Isaiah 14, which we believe to refer to Satan. Here's Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the gods assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. If my research is correct, the Israel versus Hagarite battle is actually one between the one and only true God of Israel versus the serpent, the devil. God never wanted any idolatry in the promised land, but worshipers of God's first enemy are especially not going to be tolerated. The Gadites recognized a spiritual battle, and they would not have won it without God. Asking for help reminds me of a story about a young woman working at a textile mill. 
There was a sign at the mill that said, when your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. This young woman was new on the job, and when her thread became tangled, she thought, I'll just straighten this out myself. She tried to straighten the thread, but the situation only worsened. Finally, she called the foreman, and she told him, I did the best I could. No, you didn't, the foreman replied. To do the best, you should have called me. Adulthood does not mean that I don't need anyone else, and it especially doesn't mean that I don't need God. As an adult, I should fully recognize my dependence on God and fight the spiritual battles that God calls me to. Here are three areas of spiritual maturity that I think God calls us to. Maturity of the body. This doesn't mean my physical body, but the body of believers. A mature person grows in unity to Christ. Ephesians 4, 13-15 says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. This is choosing to grow more like Jesus in the company of others' believers. That's maturity. Second is maturity of the mind. A mature person disciplines their thoughts and is reasonable. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is learning to think as God thinks, so that I can act and feel as God acts and feels. And third, maturity of the eyes. A mature person controls what they view. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is choosing my focus. This is not never seeing sin. God sees sin every day. But God's focus is on love and saving people. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's take a moment and fix our eyes on Jesus as an example of a mature human. Jesus celebrates, goes to parties, and is tempted, but he's always in control of himself. Jesus has relationships with people, but his priority is his relationship and obedience to God the Father. Jesus had a goal to make the way of salvation for all people by his life, death, and resurrection. He achieved that goal and a lot of smaller goals along the way. We'll talk about goal setting as our final point of maturity in just a moment. We don't just have a loving Savior. We have a, a mature one, one that I can follow his example. Spiritual maturity is in the body, the mind, and the eyes. Who I grow with, what I think, and what I choose to focus on. 
That maturity allows me to face life's challenges. In a similar way as accountability, physical and spiritual maturity opens the door to something great, success. Jeremiah 49, 1 and 2 and verse 6 shows us that Gad prevails. Jeremiah 49, 1 and 2 and verse 6. About the Ammonites, this is what the Lord says. Does Israel have no sons? Is he without an heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad and his people settled in their cities? Therefore, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make the shout of battle heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites, it will become a desolate mound and its surrounding villages will be set on fire. Israel will dispossess their dispossessors, says the Lord. Verse 6. But after that, I will restore the fortune of the Ammonites. This is the Lord's declaration. At the time of Jeremiah's writing, Gad, along with all the twelve, or excuse me, ten northern tribes of Israel, had been taken captive by the Assyrians. Jeremiah says that other people, the Ammonites, are now living in Gadite cities. But remember Jacob's blessing. Gad will be attacked by raiders, but he will attack their heels. The heel is the back end. Picture a person walking or running. The part of their body that is furthest behind them is the heel. This word is often used to refer to the rear guard of an army. What it's saying is that a military force may take over Gad, but when that army turns around, they will see right behind them Gad on the attack. The Assyrians took over the territory of Gad and the Ammonites moved in. But the Ammonites won't possess it forever. God promises through Jeremiah that Israel will be back in the land. Israel back in the land isn't the downfall, though, of the Ammonites. After Israel dispossesses their dispossessors, the Lord also restores the fortune of the Ammonites. Israel being back in the promised land is not just good for Israel, but is also good for the nations around Israel. It's too bad the nations around Israel today have not listened to and claimed this promise from God. Gad is sometimes knocked out, but is never completely defeated. Gad comes back and achieves what they started. Our next U.S. women's gymnastic team is going to be really good. Of course, everyone knows Simone Biles, the greatest of all time. But let me tell you about Michaela Skinner. Michaela had a chance to be on the Olympic team in 2016. She scored fourth all around, but was chosen to be an alternate instead of a member of the team. This year, she scored fifth all around just three-tenths of a point behind fourth place. They call the names of the team, Simone Biles, Jay Carey, Jordan Childs, and Susanna Lee. And Michaela thought, I'm an alternate again. Then they call the names of the two individual qualifiers, Grace McCollum and Michaela Skinner. She's no longer an alternate. She's an Olympian. She set her goal and even when it looked like she wouldn't make it, in the end, at the heel, there she was. Adulthood doesn't mean I always get what I want. It means I don't quit trying. That's a maturity of the feet. A mature person lives contented and sets righteous goals. 1 Corinthians 7.21 says, Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. Set goals and don't quit. It's certainly okay to change goals, but don't quit pursuing them. Maturity is facing life's challenges. The most recent test of this for me is my doctorate studies. 
This is going to be a challenge for me, for my family, and my church. This is a righteous goal because my goal is not simply to be, to be the Reverend Dr. Paul. My goal is to be a better servant of God, a better pastor, a better disciple maker. I was content to not go back to school, but God has provided the opportunity. So if I have the chance to earn a doctorate, earn a doctorate. This maturity God calls humanity to is holistic. It builds me into a complete adult, physically, spiritually, and able to move forward. It's the type of person who can make it through any challenge. I like the term adulting. The definition from Urban Dictionary of adulting is to carry out one or more of the duties and responsibilities expected of fully developed individuals, such as paying off that credit card debt or settling some beef without blasting social media. This term is exclusively used by those who adult less than 50% of the time. An example of use. I was going to buy a bag of marijuana, but I finally got my oil changed instead. I'm adulting. Adulting can be, in fact, it has to be, so much more than that. Our next living stone is social justice, and that has to be built upon a foundation of personal responsibility. How can I take on the responsibilities that transform my world if I don't yet know how to take care of myself? How prepared are we for the tasks that we have in life? I need to prepare like a Gedite warrior. Physically, can I feed myself, pay my bills, make a budget, write a resume, have a job interview, keep a job? Do I have the education I need? Do I take responsibility for my physical well-being? And spiritually, am I staying connected to Jesus and his church? Even as I age, am I still becoming more like Christ? And am I setting new goals? We can do this in a lot of places. Family, school, church, jobs are all places where we both learn and engage in responsibility. So let's not cruise through life, but overcome these challenges. That's the, re- that's the uh, responsibility living stone. Gad can handle the difficulties of life. A disciple obtains a carnelian stone upon demonstrating adult maturity and responsibility. The hands, a mature person works. The heart, stomach, or loins, a mature person maintains self-control and is not ruled by their own desires or body. The tongue, a mature person communicates well, knowing when to listen and when and how to speak, and they keep their word. The body, a mature person grows in unity to Christ. The mind, a mature person disciplines their thoughts and is reasonable. The eyes, a mature person knows what to focus on. And the feet, a mature person lives contented and sets righteous goals. (laughs) That's adulting. Our prayer today is taken from Psalm 48. Let's pray. The Lord is great and highly praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, rising stupendously, is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion, the city of the great king, God is known as a stronghold in its citadels. Look, the kings assembled. They advanced together. They looked and froze with fear. They fled in terror. But we have seen in the city of the Lord of armies, and we contemplate your faithful love. This God, our God forever and ever, he will always lead us. God, as we look to our future, May we never be afraid, but instead fight like warriors, knowing you are strong and stand with us. You have prepared us for the battle and to overcome. 
To the one who overcomes, you give the tree of life. To the one who overcomes, you will preserve from the second death. To the one who overcomes, you will give hidden manna and a new name. To the one who overcomes, you give power over the nations. To the one who overcomes, you clothe in white garments. You seal their names in the book of life and confess their name before the Father and the angels. To the one who overcomes, you make a pillar in the temple of God. To the one who overcomes, you will grant to sit with you on your throne. May we overcome all obstacles by your power. Amen. Go forth to live as disciples, serving God with your whole being, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great exploits in God's name.